Let's talk about the future of news. I want you all to know that we are fighting the fake news. The state of journalism today. Telling both sides of a, of a controversial story. I think you must be unbiased. It's uh, honesty, fairness, uh, truth. That is our job. That is our job. That is our job. Welcome once again to the Arrowman in Stockholm podcast. My name is Philip O'Connor. Now, during the pandemic, I spent a lot of late nights revisiting the history of boxing, particularly heavyweights who are global stars from the 30s to the 90s, mostly in the US. There are tales of great bouts and great champions, but also rip-offs, letdowns, and shady figures in the background eager to get a piece of the action. Now, about, uh, let me see, 15 or 16 hours ago, the BBC broadcast a panorama programme about Irish gang boss Daniel Kinahan and how he has become a power broker in the sport of boxing. Kieran Cunningham is an Irish journalist who has been writing about the sport of boxing and about the, the Kinahan case for the last five years or so. Um, mm. Just before we started recording there, Kieran, you were saying that you're sick of this story. Could you just explain to me what you mean by that? Basically, Philip, because it, it hasn't moved on, you know, like a lot of stuff in Panorama last night, like if you looked at the reaction, particularly online, a lot of people were saying, we know all this, this is nothing new. But I think it was important that the reporter, Darren Magadan, Panorama, told the full story and explained the story because a Panorama would reach an audience that wouldn't be familiar with the story. Like it wouldn't be a boxing audience. It wouldn't be an audience that's uh, in any way familiar with uh, Irish gangland. So it was important to explain who Daniel Kinahan is and who the people involved in the story are. But the problem, you know, this has been highlighted before. Like when Tyson Fury last year credited Daniel Kinahan with arranging the fight with uh, Anthony Joshua, there was a flurry of interest in the UK media, the US media, you know, media across the world looking into the Daniel Kinahan story. But it died out very quickly and everything carried on as normal. And my concern is, you know, this stuff has been highlighted, particularly in Irish newspapers, some Irish newspapers over the last few years. And Daniel Kinham, as, as the documentary makes clear, is still involved at a high level of the sport. He's still involved in negotiations for big fights. He's still advising uh, huge figures within boxing. So, you know, it, 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 it becomes a governance issue. That there are, there, if, you've been, if there's a problem with a footballer, then you could go to, say, the FAI in Ireland or UEFA or FIFA the problem with a manager or whatever, you know, or an organ, a national governing body. But who actually runs boxing? You know, you have all these uh, IBF, WBA, WBC, etc. They're basically interested in handing out belts. They're not interested in, in governing the sports. They, they operate with a very light touch. You have the British Boxing Board to control in Britain that sanctions factors. But, you know, like how close do they look at the people that are involved with in their sport? Because you have this bizarre situation that you could come out of prison this morning for murder, having served, say, 25 years of murder. Tomorrow, if you have the money, you could set yourself up as a boxing manager. If you have enough money, you could get to the high level, very high level of sport very quickly. Whereas if you're, if you're coaching underage kids in a boxing club or under 13 soccer or whatever, rugby, GA, etc., then there's far more scrutiny. You have to go through police vetting and everything else. But at the highest level of this sport, basically anyone can get involved if they've got the money. And you look at a guy like Daniel Kinnan and all the questions are around him and you say, what is wrong with this sport that they allowed this guy to be, become such a key figure in the sport and despite all the claims around him, that he's still there. 
But does that simply come down to money, Kieran? Because he's been identified in, in a couple of different courts as being somebody, um, okay, as, as a gangland boss, right enough, but as somebody who has generated hundreds of millions of euros through his dealings in gangland. So does it simply come down to the fact that he's a man of enormous power because he has enormous wealth? Yeah. Well, that's, you know, that's the, the well, you know, it's, it's stated in the obvious, but the big difference between amateur and professional boxing is the money. Like amateur boxing, people being involved with it, you know, for the discipline and the rigor, the training, or, you know, they want to just, um, they might be going down a bad path and it gives them just a focus that they need. And it does, amateur boxing does great work in a lot of marginalized and uh, deprived communities. But at professional level, it's about money and nothing much else. And that's why within boxing, the, 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 pulse, the, few, the fight down the line that may or may not happen between Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury will be one of the most lucrative fights in boxing history. Mm. So there's, a, there's very much, there's no willingness within professional boxing to rock the boat about it. Because they want, there's so many people from promoters, managers, boxers, uh, TV companies, broadcasters, etc. They want this fight to happen because it'll make them so much money. Mm. And the rise of Daniel Kinnan in boxing and, you know, uh, go, coinciding with that, the rise of MTK Global, which he's had the connection with for so long, um, is baffling because it makes no sense. Like it came out in the court case between Carl Frampton and Barry McGuigan that uh, he doesn't pay a, a cent to MTK, that they get nothing miserly. So why is he connected with them? Like what is their interest? You know, that is very unusual behavior, to put it mildly, that you sign up a fighter and he's signing for big purses and you get no percentage of it. Mm. So last year was a year that COVID-19 hit boxing really hard across the world. Loads of bills were canceled. The amount of fights, the bills that went ahead was down roughly 50% of the year before. But in that year, in 2020, MTK expanded at a rapid rate. You know, it's as gyms in, I think, about 20 different countries uh, now. It recruited about 12 boxers in America last year. And trainers, you know, its first uh, recruit was in September. And then by by December, I think, the 12 recruited. So how is a body... that's taken... You know, nobody within boxing can explain this. Where the money to build MTK came from, how was able to pay boxers and trainers so well, I was able to expand at a time when everybody else is in big trouble in boxing. And that's a, this is why this story is only starting. People are only digging into the story. Um, do you know anything about Daniel Kinahan and where his love of boxing comes from? Because, I mean, I know he's from Dublin. I know his father, Christy, uh, was behind an awful lot of heroin trade in Dublin, or certainly a part of it, even if it wasn't a lot of it. But does does the family have a boxing history, or has this just become a sort of a, a rich man's plaything because he can do it now? Yeah. I think he has an interest in it, but like, I don't think there's any great boxing history. Like he was, in, I think he was involved in a club here, right, or... You know, but uh, no, not to. He never had the kind of connections that Gary Hodge had, for, for example, who, mm. who would be the other part of that gangland rivalry, uh, you know, that wreaks havoc in Dublin. You know, actually, his first involvement in sport, you know, was in 2007. I, I don't know if you remember, there was a, a trial in the Old Bailey, a bet, a bet to lose trial, and it centered around the jockey Kieran Fallon. And, uh, you know, it came out in that that Daniel Kinney had approached uh, various people involved and they traveled from Spain. And he, he came up with, around that story. You know, he was very much involved in, in a very dubious story centered on horse racing. Mm. So I think uh, my instinct is that he saw a vacancy in boxing to become the Mr. Big. Like if you look to the people who were controlling boxing for so long, 
like John King, like Bob Arum, they were either retired or you know, getting well into their late 70s or 80s now. And uh, there was nobody really, there was nowhere apparent, you know, and this is a, his ego knows no bounds, this guy, he's very arrogant. Mm. And I think he, he saw this away, like there's a lot of kudos about being the guy around big fights. You know, it's, uh, it, appeal, it also appeals to people who are on the dark side of the street. You know, mm. they're, they're, there's, like as you say, boxing is always at those kind of links. And it's, I think to some, a lot of people within boxing, they like that. You know, they like that it's got a, a kind of shadiness to it. You know, Jimmy Cannon called it the red light district of sport. Yeah. And to people within boxing, they kind of like that it's called. They don't see that as an insult. And yet at the same time, right now, I have to be careful not to name names because I know an awful lot of good upstanding people in boxing on the promotion side and on the broadcasting side, the kind of people, and now I'm going to generalize fairly heavily because we always look, you know, at boxers being young men who come from sort of, you know, deprived backgrounds or who come from poor backgrounds. And yet, you know, on the TV side of it, for instance, or on the promotion side of it, you have people from well-to-do families, you have bankers, you have lawyers who are bankrolling these things who get involved as promoters. Um, is this is it still the case as it was? You know, pretty much if you go back over a century, maybe of pro boxing, that these two worlds have collided there, and it's just very, very difficult to tell what's black, what's what's white, and what's grey in the middle. Uh, it's a good question. I'm not, but I'm, I'm not sure if it's that difficult, Philip, because you know, I would there, there are certain you know certain boxers that have got involved with MTK, for example, mm. or you know, have got advice from Daniel Kinnan. I don't think they, they I, I think they felt genuinely they didn't want alternative. There was nobody else, like they, they would have left school young, they would have no qualifications. A lot of them would be married with kids, they have mortgages, they have a lot of bills to pay. And they see this as the only way they can uh, make a living for themselves and their families. But there are other boxers within, yeah, you know, within those stables who had plenty of choices and they would know the questions right around Daniel Kinnan and it wouldn't be as forgiving of them. And it definitely wouldn't be as forgiving of the people to promote, you know, some of the people involved in promotion and management in the TV companies, that they're not stupid. They, they have been asked, quite a few of them, on a number of occasions about Daniel Kinnan. They know the accusations that have been made around him. But I think uh, that, that there's so much money around it that they don't want to rock the boat. They don't mm. want to get there, you know. They don't want to really confront the reality of what this sport is, is, you know, is now. And I think it is a crossroads. It's, it's, it's too easy to say Don King went to prison. It's too easy to say the mafia ran, ran boxing for 30 or 40 years. You know, we see there was so much corruption in the Olympic group. There was so much corruption in the FIFA, etc. That doesn't excuse, that doesn't give anybody an excuse to change things, mm. to try and reform it, to make it better. And there have been efforts made to reform UEFA, say, and FIFA, and the Olympic group. Boxing has to stand up for itself. The good people within boxing have to point out, you know, realize that the sport does a lot of good, but this is a disaster for it. In, in, in PR terms alone, like that, if you were watching that last night, and that would have got a big audience, and it will get a big audience of the player and when it's repeated, etc. Would you want your kids involved in that sport? I mean, genuinely, because you're just looking at all the stuff's going around. You're looking at the footage of a shooting at a weigh-in and a screaming eight-year-old running around. Mm. Why would you want your children involved in that? And the reality is, it's great for a lot of children because it really helps a lot of children. But this mm. guy and the, the people like him have really damaged the sport. Mm. Um, 
one of the things I was actually reading last night, I'm reading a book by David Remnick about heavyweight boxing at the moment, yeah. and uh, I think you actually mentioned uh, Frankie Carbo, who was a, a mobster in America, yeah. in an article. Now, Frankie was kind of famous. He was around Sonny Liston, but at the time when Liston was going through Floyd Patterson, when he was going to fight Muhammad Ali, he couldn't get a license to box in New York because of his ties to the mafia. And yeah. the, the other thing was the TV blackout. So back in the day, boxing was huge on TV and radio for people not as old as myself and yourself. It was huge on TV and radio. But in an American city, it wouldn't be shown on TV in New York until the, the fight with the, all the tickets were sold out, right? So yeah. that was why a lot of fights moved to Nevada because, you know, it didn't matter whether people went to the fights or not. You weren't going to lose a huge TV audience uh, by if it didn't sell out. So that was why they moved there. And of course, the mafia had their, their interest there as well. Is, it, is that where the solution lies to you, Karen? Because is it like, does the power really lie with the people who bring the eyeballs to the sport and by that I mean Showtime, I mean ESPN, I mean BT Sports, I mean Viasat here in the Nordic region. Is that where the solving of this is or is it with you know the clubs with the people who go down there and, and clean up every day and who are coaching kids? Well they can be part of the solution but I think um, a large part of it or the, or the larger part of it uh, Philip has to be the governing bodies and you know it, it would really help like uh, a guy i know kurt emhoff he's he was part of the, the the panorama program but he's an attorney in new york and he's managed 14 world champions and he's been highlighting the lack of governance for years and pointing out there needs one international governing body that actually governs the sport because there's none that do it at the moment so there is probably you know uh you know like a right and uh, proper tests in, in terms of who can get involved in this problem. Like if, if somebody has so many questions random or such a dubious or, or a dubious past or whatever, they shouldn't be given a license to work in this sport. You know, and uh, like uh, focusing on the MTK, thing, the MTK story uh, is a bewildering because, you know, they have a media department as you know, because they're an internet, big international sports management company and they're based in Dubai. Um, they're based at they've they've gyms in twenty different countries, and I've sent them uh, loads of questions around the way the company operates, um, you know, where the the finances come from, certain links that are, you know that crop up between uh, various political parties, even, mm. and they never replied. They haven't replied once. No, the only response has been that I've been blocked on Twitter. And like, what can a sports management company operates that way? That is not a normal way of operating. You know, if you want to say, if you don't want to say anything, you say no comment, and you're making no comment. But just ignoring you and then blocking Twitter, like it's like people with a 14 year old. But it would give you the impression then that these guys consider themselves to be unaccountable. Like, you know, we had a situation where MTK, I think in 2018, they said that no Irish boxer was allowed, or no, none of their Irish boxers were allowed to speak to the Irish media. And that went on for a year or so. And then they realized that maybe that was damaging their business. So it sort of quietly went away. But I've noticed that, you know, I've noticed this a lot in combat sports lately, you know, that people who are difficult to ask difficult questions are gradually being moved aside. It's not the case anymore that, you know, if you were writing for the, the New York Daily Post or whatever, that you could go and sort of, you know, you have to be friendly with everybody now in order to, to, to get in, to get access in that. Yeah. Do you find that to be a problem now in, in, in combat sports or in boxing in general, that yeah. you, you can't get access to people? Well, 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 generally boxers have been very accessible, you know, and, and even a lot of the ones... Um, like, I don't deal with anybody involved with MTK now. You know, I just took a decision that they're beyond the pale when they're there because there's too many questions riding around the place. But I have talked, like, quite a few of those guys, Michael Conn and and Jamie Conn. I talk to them regularly, Davey Oliver Joyce. And generally, boxing people, like, I'm sure you're much the same. You know, 
developed it. If you list it off, your favorite interviews you've ever done, a hell of a lot of them will be boxers. Exactly, very, yeah. They're often really interesting people, very intelligent, very thoughtful uh, outside of the ring. But it's a very brutal sport and uh, it's a very dangerous sport. Like, so these guys, basically, when they step through the ropes, like a knockout is a euphemism for a brain injury. So they're putting themselves at serious risk every time they step into the ring and sparring, even though it, it, it accumulated damage because it can be, can be great. But one of the things I found depressing this night was if you looked at, say, the Twitter, looked through your Twitter timeline during Panorama and afterwards, I didn't see anybody from within boxing saying, this is great, I'm glad this is out there, or fair play to Panorama, whatever. All I see was uh, people heading out of the program or, you know, having sneery, making sneery comments about Barry McGuigan. Mm. Because, Barry, you know, Barry had a high-profile cold case with Carl Frampton. There was nobody actually saying it's a good thing for the sport that this stuff has been made public. So there's a numerical there. Actually, I haven't seen much from boxing journalists about this story saying it's a good thing that it's been confronted. So it's going to be interesting now when Tyson Fury does an express conference. They could probably be online, which is an awkward one because it's hard to ask questions. But when these guys, the Carl Frampton is a type of like, no, it's, a, it's imperative now that journalists covering these guys ask the questions. Hmm. So they have to realize now it's out there and you can't ignore it anymore yeah i found myself having a conversation back at the start of the pandemic with darren till who's a mixed martial artist and he's probably the highest profile or certainly the most talented mixed martial artist that is in the mtk stable and the conversation that we were having was around an initiative that he had with a couple of other mixed martial artists to do with addressing uh, knife crime in certain british cities you know and yeah. we just never got onto the subject of mtk that wasn't the direction where these things are going but it's one of those yeah. questions that you know i wouldn't be doing my job if i didn't ask darren the next time i see how can you on the one hand be talking about knife crime in cities and on the other hand you're signed with an operation that's been linked to 14 of 18 murders in a feud so you know but they really are and I mean I remember being a year ago at Tyson Fury's press conference with Deontay Wilder in Los Angeles in January and I remember thinking to myself how many people in this room know who Daniel Kinahan is and the honest answer I can give Kieran is probably not very many now do yeah. you think that the program last night on the BBC do you think that that's going to change in boxing journalism in particular that it is becoming the elephant in the room that we can no longer ignore and do you think the journalists will step up to that well I think it definitely puts more pressure on and it puts more pressure on the sport generally hmm. you know like uh, um like Eddie Heron had a book out a few months ago, and he did a round of interviews. And then quite a, a, a fair few of those like, interviews, he was asked about Eddie Heron, about Daniel Kinnan. Mm. And he just gave pat answers, you know, I, as he did in the documentary last night. So basically, you know, I negotiate on Anthony Joshua's behalf uh, or a fight with uh, Tyson Fury, so I deal with whoever uh, Tyson Fury puts forward. But I think there comes a stage when people say that's not good enough. And, you know, it's not, it's, it's not good. It's not like you can't plead ignorance anymore, wouldn't it? Mm. Like, you keep coming back to, like you say there, a lot of people in, that in, in America didn't know who Daniel Kinnan is. I know that, absolutely. And that's why I would, you know, I would defend Darren McIntyre and Panorama because people say, no, it's the same old stuff. A hell of a lot of people watching that program didn't know any of that stuff. They'd mm. never heard of Daniel Kinnan before. So I think it's important to keep pushing, but I think it's, it's a big one for both the media and for the sport itself. People from within the sport have to show a willingness to speak out. Darren McIntyre is a very good piece on the BBC website, just talking about the process of covering the story. And he talked to a hell of a lot of people who, who hate the idea that Daniel King had been involved and would think it's awful for boxing, but they won't go on the record. Like mm. There is a huge amount of fear there. 
And Barry McGuigan was the only one he could go to get on the record. And, you know, what does that tell you? you know, mm. But there has to be more voices. It can't just be Barry McGuigan. And the boxing media has to find a voice. The boxing media, too many of them feel their job is basically to sell sites. Mm. You know, what can't be the job? You know, there has to be, there has to be more rigor in it. Like, you know, you look at other sports that had serious issues, you know, even like the swimming scandal in Ireland, the child abuse scandal. Gary O'Toole had to step, step up from within the sport. Mm. Paul Kimmich had to step out, uh, speak up from within the sport of cycling. Mm. Like a few people, people have to step forward with those sports, you know, have confronted those issues, but brave people have stood up. And mm. then, you know, brave people are needed now in boxing, they're badly needed. And mm. I, I just, I don't care what Benny Carbo did. I don't care what happened to Sonny Liston. Sonny Liston died 50 years ago this week. People mm. have to realize in 2021, this has happened. How is it acceptable? That, that fear that you mentioned there, Kieran, right? So obviously, uh, Donald McIntyre went to the asked an awful lot of people, and nobody wants to go on camera and talk Darren about McIntyre, this. Just to clarify, sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, sorry, mix the two of them up there. Yeah. Um, but yeah. it, it, people wouldn't go uh, sit in front of his camera and say these things. That fear that they have is it a fear of their own reputation being damaged? Is it a fear of being frozen out, or is it a fear of, of retribution or violence from the part of Kinnan? Because so far, it would seem that the people who write about this and the people who publicize it and people like Barry McGuigan. You know, I, I've never felt, you know, I've written a few stories about this and I've never had anybody call me up and threaten me or that kind of thing. Well, where do you see the problem as being for boxing? Are they worried that they lose their fight, uh, place in the queue, that their fighters may not get the fights that they need, that they'll be somehow yeah. frozen out? That's what they're worried about. No, I think, I think it's a sphere for themselves and their family, like genuine fear for, um, you know I, know, I know a couple of people within boxing here who've had death threats. I know a couple of journalists who've had death threats, you know, come and... Come who have covered this story. Now, I haven't did anything, you know, but my wife has, has asked me a couple of times not to cover it, and I can understand why she says it, but, like, I, I just think, God, if they're going after a journalist, they're way down the list that they've had to get before me. Yeah, exactly, I just, yeah. Yeah, I just don't think, and I don't think he's that stupid, you know, that he's going to go after a journalist, because as uh, as things are now, I think Daniel Kinnan will be trying to keep a lower profile as possible, you know, mm. and, and try and, trying to stay out of the reach of the law because, you know, Michal Martin is in our paper today, the Taoiseach, saying they're going to do everything they can to get him into untrial in, in Ireland. So, mm. you know, a lot of people are trying to get this guy uh, in front of a court. Mm. So, you know, I, I don't, like, I, the only thing I would say on this, uh, Philip, is boxing is a very small community. Yeah. Like, I was talking to, there's a guy from ABC uh, the American Network, and they're covering this story as well. I was talking to him a couple of weeks ago, and he was saying to me, he was telling me how difficult he, he found to get anyone to talk to him. Yeah. You know, he'd go to various boxing clubs, and because, you know, uh, boxing uh, is based in a community, or based in, uh, boxing clubs are based in a lot of communities where a lot of gangland figures come from. Mm. So uh, people are afraid to talk uh, because they know people who are involved in crime. They know people who, are, who have links to Kinnan. So people within boxing often are pretty close links. So they mm. really don't want to get uh, to be to speak out. And I can understand that. You know, I, I wouldn't blame them for that. Mm. Um, 
just finally, Daniel Kennan has tried to sort of, you know, restore his reputation. There was that mad film that was put out saying, you know, the truth about the Regency, uh, the gun attack on a, on a boxing way in there a couple of years ago. So he has made quite expensive attempts to rehabilitate his own reputation. They seem to have failed and he seemed to have, he's walked away from deals in Bahrain. He's had to walk away from MTK, at least publicly. Do you expect him to just, you know, to stay behind the scenes now? Because it would have seemed that it was important to him not just to be a power broker in boxing, but to be seen to be a power broker in boxing, is that a loss for him? Is that something that, you know, is going to annoy him having to step back? Oh, it's a huge loss. It was a huge blow to him, particularly to his ego, because to me, it looked like a kind of a thought out plan because you had the rap video initially spinning this conspiracy theory that the media, Finn Gale and the Gardner had conspired to kill him. And then you had a documentary uh, putting forward the same theory uh, you had a first photograph of him emerged on Instagram in five years. I don't think that was an accident. I think he was putting himself back out there. Hmm. And then you had uh, Bob Arum uh, name-checking him in an interview before Tyson Fury thanked him in the Instagram post. Yeah. And then around the same time, KHK in uh, Bahrain and, uh, said he was an advisor. But an interesting thing happened around that. The Irish government sent a lot of the Irish media coverage to the authorities in Bahrain and Dubai, hmm. highlighting who this guy is. And that's what I think that's the reason why uh, the KHK link went. Yeah. And I think it's one of the reasons why there's more pressure on them uh, within Dubai, because Dubai have started extraditing uh, a few gangland figures from different countries mm. in the last while. And he, like in his, he, he issued a very self-serving statement at the weekend, Daniel Kennan. And he, he said on that that he would never set foot in, Ar- in Ireland again. But the mm. reality is if he sets foot in Europe again, he'd be arrested anywhere yeah. in Europe. And he's also not allowed to enter America. Yeah. So this guy, if he's kicked out of Dubai, he doesn't have many other places to go now. Hmm. Where do you see this ended up, Kieran? Do you see him still being involved in boxing in five years' time and Tyson Fury thanking him after his 26th heavyweight title defence with all his billions in the bank? I really hope not. No, no. I hope in five, five years' time he's, uh, he's a footnote and that he, ha- you know, that he has been brought before a court. You know, but 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 the only thing is, um, he's no conviction to date. He's yeah. managed to evade that. No, and there, there, but there are more efforts being made than ever before hmm. to bring him to before um, judge and jury. Is there anything to stop the next Daniel Kinahan taking over from him if he does wind up behind bars? Well, that, that's where I keep coming back to. That's where governance, proper governance of the sport comes in. You know, why, why having a situation where anybody can become a boxing manager as long as you throw the money around is ludicrous. Mm. You know, you have to, you know, when you have to, do, you know, you have to coaching badges, you have to do police vetting courses, etc., to, to, to work in other sports. Mm. Now, boxing has to confront that big, big problem, and that that has to come within from within people within boxing. Like outsiders can't, uh, we can't come up with a governing body for, for boxing. Boxing has to do that themselves and they have to want to do that themselves. There has to be desire for proper governance. Do you think that desire exists? I would be skeptical at the moment. You know, when you look at the reaction last night from people within boxing, it was basically the, they, were, uh, they were trying to brush it off, saying it was no big deal. So hmm. I'd be quite cynical about that, to be honest. Hmm. Kieran, thanks very much for taking the time to talk to me about it. Uh, we'll continue to cover this story and keep an eye on it. And you never know, we might have you back on in a couple of months if anything has happened. But thanks so much for taking the time. No problem.